Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey everybody, I'm Rachel. And I'm Rechna, and this is Hall of Shame. Okay, so I gotta say, this is the first time that I've looked somebody in the eye that's not my boyfriend or my dog for quite some time. Yeah, and it's, it's it's hard for me not to be like, okay, what do you have for online schooling today, Rachel? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I'm an adult. Yeah, just want to do our little part to maybe bring a distraction during a time that can be a little unsettling. Yeah, I think the one note that I kept on seeing on Twitter when we put out an episode was that they just had a nice like 25 minute break from the craziness. So, so we want to. We want to do Give that. Give you a few more of those. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so on that note, let's move forward. Let's try and be positive today. Let's empty our brains of the hard stuff and just try and take a breather for a few minutes. Yeah. All okay. right. Um, so here's here's my question to you today, okay. Rajna. Have you ever done any kind of psychedelic? Shrooms, acid? I have done shrooms. You're wild. So Wait, you have? I have. You wait, did you do it? Oh no, I didn't do my shroom journey. I have done them that that's like more of a like therapeutic thing, but I have done them recreationally. You have done them recreationally. Yes. Okay, so can we tell the viewers or the listeners rather that you are going so on a spiritual I, adventure? Listen, right. who knows when now, but I have been reading a lot about the therapeutic uh, values value of psychedelics mm-hmm. in particular shrooms and like been reading about microdosing and whatever and I have decided uh, <gasps> to do like a spiritual journey yes on shrooms sorry mom if you're <laughs> listening I think it's being it's more okay. regulated now that it's like no, you know and, people and aren't just doing it at raves yeah and I'm having to... someone like take me on the journey yeah. so it's going to be a shaman Kind of, yeah. Like someone who is experienced in it and knows what they're doing. And like when I spoke to them about it, it was like, it was like more prepared than like anyone is for coronavirus. That's for sure. One thousand percent. So like, yeah, I'm excited about it. I've read so much about it. Heard so much about it. I want to tell you the story of an amazing athlete. Okay. Born rule breaker who fought for what he believed in, someone who fought for social justice. I love this. But also someone who played one of the wildest games in baseball history on LSD. Uh, so there we uh, go. This I'm excited. Is the story of former MLB legend, baseball pitcher, Mr. Doc Ellis. Oh my God. I'm thrilled. I feel Ooh, like I, got I some know. Chills. I know. I feel like I know the broad strokes. I'm so excited. Exactly. All right, All right let's dive in. Doc was born on March 11th, 1945, in Los Angeles, okay. um, where his parents were middle class, small business owners, uh, and he was super into sports as a kid. He played basketball and baseball from as early as age 10. At 14, he went to Gardena High School in South Los Angeles. Pretty shortly after, he started getting into drugs and alcohol. At 14 years old, Mm -hmm. this wasn't totally surprising because, from all accounts, he was treated pretty shittily in high school. Later on in life, he had told a biographer that Gardena was a predominantly white school Mm -hmm. and that he had really wanted to go to the black school nearby with all of his friends, but this was 1959. And while I wasn't 
It, it still wasn't fully desegregated. Some attendance lines in the neighborhood had been drawn to Got integrate it. more black kids into Gardena High. Um, but it was still a majority white school. And from what Doc had said, the other students called him names. The administration looked down on him and really, like, othered him. Classic. While Doc did play at basketball for his high school, he refused to play for the baseball team. Mm-hmm. There are some conflicting stories as to why, but one story says that the players were racist and called him names, and another actually said that the coach was a real bully. So either way, it was a toxic environment. We know that Doc now loves baseball, so it shows you a lot that he would. he's yeah. like, no, I'm going to go and play the basketball. The degree to which it was a horrifying situation. Yeah, screw these guys. So... He actually started playing baseball. He refused to play for his high school team. He started playing baseball for a local semi-professional team called the Pittsburgh Pirates Rookies. Okay. Yes, it's in L.A. I (laughs) I can't answer why they called it Pittsburgh. I, I mean, just, I can't maybe, maybe the guy who started it was originally from Pittsburgh. Okay, there we go. Let's there go with that. All right. So this rookie team was like a traveling team, uh, and his teammates were made up of like super talented athletes, a bunch of whom later ended up going pro as well. So he was in a pretty good spot. That's amazing. He was like, screw you to the high school team. I'm going to play basketball in high school, baseball outside. Love it. Great. We're in a good spot. Unfortunately, in his senior year of high school, Doc was caught drinking and getting high in a high school bathroom. Okay. This could have been a huge deal, like expulsion even. Right. But the school struck a deal with Doc Okay. under the table. They agreed not to take any action if he agreed to play uh, for the high school's baseball team. Right, of course. He's the dirty dogs. These guys. So Doc was so skilled that the school was willing to overlook anything, really, if it meant that he would play. So, the racist coach was even like, fine. Uh, fine. This kid's good. Um, so he agreed in that year, he pitched in just three games for his high school team, just three. And he was still named all league, which means oh like the God. best in the league. Yeah. If you guys don't know it, over the course of three games, they were like, he's he was so impressive in three games. Yeah, else. absolutely. So coming off of his success on both of his high school team and traveling team, he went to Los Angeles Harbor junior college, hoping to be scouted to join a professional team. So while he was there, a bunch of minor league baseball teams did come to scout him, but he and his friends heard through the grapevine that the Pittsburgh Pirates, the ac- the actual ones uh-huh, this time, okay. not his rookie team that he's playing on, were giving out signing bonuses of sixty thousand dollars. Back right. then, that was oh a, my god, t- well it's a lot of Even money today, now, but. Yeah. So they're like, okay, gonna wait. Yeah. Gonna wait this one out. So if you don't know, minors versus majors, minors is like a farm team. So if you're on this team, you're kind of just like waiting to get called up. So right. you have to be really good, and then you can make it in the majors. And when you're playing in the minors, uh, you don't get paid very much. Yes, yes, yes. You're yes, like yes, kind yes. of... It's minor league. It's yeah. like a, a baby brother to the big brother, which is right. MLB. There's a lot of other jobs you could have that uh-huh. pay better. So Doc does finally get his offer from Pittsburgh Pirates in... 1964 at age 19. Like, this kid's killing wow. it. Uh, but before he can sign, he gets arrested for Grand Theft Auto. Mm. It's like that self-sabotaging thing. Something good happens and your brain's like, I better do something bad because mm-hmm. good things can happen. It's I guess almost so. like subconscious. All right. So he ended up getting off on probation with a fine. But at this point, a lot of teams that were circling, including the Pirates for 60 Thou, were probably like, mm, Okay, maybe we'll go with a different guy. Mm-hmm. This guy's stealing sure. cars. Sure. Um, so luckily, his former coach from the L.A.-based Pirates. Again, I know it's confusing, but yeah. uh, the L.A.-based Pirates rookie team he played on in high school was a scout for the MLB team, the Pittsburgh Pirates, too. 
and convince them to sign Doc despite the crime. Uh, they were, he chance. was like, I know this kid. He's a star. You got to believe in yeah. him. And he's a good kid. Yeah, minus like the drugs right. and the car. Stealing. He's a good kid who's like, can make bad choices. Yes. So he was offered a one-year minor league contract at just 500 bucks a month with a $2,500 signing bonus. So a lot different than $60,000. Sure. A very different offer. Um, so once he was in the Pirates organization, he played for a bunch of different minor league teams uh, while he was waiting for the call-up to the majors. Mm-hmm. On those teams, his wild and unpredictable behavior continued. Sure. One example being when a fan heckled him, he decided to chase the guy with a baseball bat. <laughs> he seemed chill, right? I don't know Just why everyone's like making such a fuss about it. Average baseball player. But you have to understand that minor league baseball players are under a ton of pressure. Not only are they making probably zero dollars mm-hmm. or very close to it, but you have to play perfectly every yes. chance you get, especially as a pitcher. Because he was waiting for this call-up, yeah. hoping to get into the majors. And because of that, because of all this pressure, he started taking pills. So, like, uppers, gotcha. all these different kinds of things while he pitched. Gotcha. Because he was he was on a, a couple of different kinds of amphetamines, specifically Benzedrine, a.k.a. Benny's, mm-hmm. on the street. And Daxamil, which are also called greenies, which is also the name of my dog treats. So I don't know what to think about that. Anyways, his drug use really ramped up in this period of his life, and he became addicted. Okay. Later on in life, he said he never pitched a single game without taking drugs, which is wild. Some sources say he got up to 70 to 85 milligrams per game, which would be somewhere between 5 and 12 pills. Oh, my God. Depending on what type, yeah. He's since said, who knows, I just reached into a bag until I got tired. Wow. It's a miracle he didn't overdose and, like, really hurt himself when he was younger. So despite the drug use, he was still a consistently great player, Mm -hmm. which is also mind-boggling. And no one could overlook that. In 1968, at the age of 23, he finally made his MLB debut with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Wow. Okay. So really, it it didn't take him that long because he was 19... I mean, I am not a That's professional amazing. baseball player, but four years in the minors, I would think, is actually a decent mm. amount of time. Because he got into the minors when he was 19. Right. And I feel like there's definitely super famous MLB players who are like 21. 20. Yeah, yeah, 21. Sure. Um, I take it back. Okay. Uh, so he started in the beginning in the MLB as a relief pitcher. Okay. Okay. And he was moved into the starting rotation later that season. He ended the season six and five, six wins, five losses. Mm-hmm. With a 2.5 ERA. A 2.05 ERA, you said? 2.5. 2.5 ERA is excellent. Yeah, it's really good. good. Yeah. Um, the very next year, because of this, he started as the pitcher for opening day. People were just That's so amazing. impressed with him. So his rise was super fast. As, so- as soon as he got in the majors, whew, gotcha. took off. Around the same time, he also started doing cocaine. Gotcha. Well, you start making a ton of money. You start making that money. Yeah. And then you start spending that money. And back then in particular, I feel like that was like... Oh, for sure. 1968. That's it. So he started doing cocaine. Not a great combination. Probably because all of the uppers that he is also (laughs) taking. How did this guy sleep? Did he? I guess the crash. So you've probably noticed we've been talking a lot about illegal substances, Mm -hmm. which it's not always pretty, but I'm... I am excited to tell you what comes next. I'm excited about it. So Doc was taking uppers. It was the 60s. 
he also liked to dabble in some psychedelics as well, mm-hmm. like our friend Rechna here. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where his story takes a huge turn. Okay. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So, it's Doc's third season with the Pirates, and they were set to play the San Diego Padres on Padres' home turf. The game was set for June 12, 1970, so we're in the 70s Gotcha. The Pirates flew into San Diego on June 11th, the day before. Doc decided he's going to hop up to L.A. to visit a friend. Okay. Apparently, while there, can you guess? Yeah. They took some drugs. Yeah. <laughs> they, they got a little It's involved. 1970. Oh. It's L.A. It's summer. What oh. else are you going to do? He said he took LSD at least two to three times that day. What? Which sounds like a lot. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. That seems like a lot. So Friday comes around, the day of the game, okay? Doc is hanging around. Obviously, he's super stoned. In his brain, it's still Thursday. Sure. He didn't even know that time had passed. And the third LSD go. Oh, he thought he was on (laughs) the moon. His brain was like, is it last year? Yeah. I don't know. It's 1935. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm feeling good, baby. So he has another hit of LSD at yeah. noon, because why not? He's, he's, like, he's not it's, pitching today. It's fucking Thursday. I don't know, 24 hours before yeah. I need to be anywhere. Please. The phone rings, which probably scared him in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It's 1842. <laughs> There's no phones in this era. It turns out it's the Pirates manager calling the house, asking where the hell Doc is. Because it's 2 p.m. He's supposed to be in San Diego warming by up. now. These guys are warming up. They're having team breakfast together. His friend's girlfriend that he was staying with sounds the alarm waking Doc up from his, I guess, acid-inspired nap, which, could you imagine if you were that high, okay, and then Mm -hmm. some woman comes, like, barging into your room, and they were like, you have to be in San Diego, you are a pitcher, (laughs) and you need to be places. I would be like, bitch, I'm on Saturn. It's... (laughs) It's 1762, baby. <laughs> We're going to get all the way down to like BC by the end BC? of this. <laughs> I'm hanging up with the dinosaurs. <laughs> so sheer panic, right? So it's 2 p.m. game day. Doc realizes he is A, in the wrong city, B, extremely high. He rushes to the airport, catches a flight down to San Diego, gets to the stadium magically around 4.30. Wow. The time there doesn't really add up, but maybe he flew himself. Figured it out. 90 minutes before he has to go and pitch. That's when he arrived. So just so we're all Incredible. aware, okay, maybe maybe you at home haven't dabbled with the LSD or psychedelics. LSD trips, which I have not been on, can apparently last 6 to 15 hours. So... Doc is still quite high once he arrives, obviously. He takes some Dexamil, the uppers that he usually pitches with to, like, I don't know, counteract the acid, I guess. So to this day, Major League Baseball hasn't put this whole game online, which is, like, Okay, guys, calm down. Let us enjoy. Boo, MLB. So they only release snippets to the public, which is a real bummer because from what we know, shit's about to get crazy here. At least from Doc's perspective. <laughs> Everyone's like, normal day. Doc's like, Whoa! like take me out to the yeah. ball game. He's like, where? <laughs> What's where happening? 
So Doc couldn't really tell what was going on. He could barely see the hitters. The catcher had put tape on his fingers, like reflective tape. Oh, my God. So he could see the signals. So the catcher knew. Yeah. Somehow, despite not being able to really see the hitters, Doc walked two batters in the first inning and then finished things out by striking out the Padres' right fielder. Wow. Which is amazing. Yeah. So Pirates are up to bat now. Willie Stargell makes a solo home run that puts the Pirates at one nothing. So we're rolling right now, okay? Sure. Things are off to a good start. Cut to the fourth inning. Nothing exciting happens. Okay. In the dugout, somebody mentions that he's pitching a no-no. That's what some people call a no-hitter. And even Doc's super high brain recognizes that this is true. He's uh, like, well, look at well, that. Um, but then again, he's also convinced that Richard Nixon is the home plate umpire. He's so also he's like, going through some stuff. Is it Monday? <laughs> anyway. Everyone on the team is probably like... Holy shit, how is this happening? We gotta right. keep this up. But this man is also out of his mind. Is what we're doing ethical right now? Sure. What is blah. So knowing he's super high, but also that he's on a roll with right. this no-no, the pirates defense is out there trying to lock down the game. Sure, right. They're like, we gotta get this. We yeah. we gotta get this. This is a historical moment. Sure. Cause for context, no hitters are rare and amazing. Oh, a no hitter not on LSD yeah. is absolutely incredible. Right. Exactly. And doesn't happen very often. So they pulled off some tough defensive plays. So they're also helping him out big time. Sure. Early on when the Padres hit an impressive line drive, the Pirates center fielder catches the ball with a one-handed grab. So meanwhile, Doc's just out there chewing his gum so hard that he's like, it turned to powder in my mouth. Mm. Not possible, but I'm sure possible in his world right now. Felt like it. So in the fifth and sixth innings, Doc manages to keep everything afloat. He walks two batters, still managed to get the Padres out without letting the base runners make any moves. Okay. So this is extra impressive because he talked about how at this point the ball sometimes looked really, really big and then sometimes super small in his hands. He's full on... He's tripping. What's the word when you see something? Hallucinating. Thank you. He's hallucinating. Yeah. So he's having some trouble paying attention sure. to what's going on yeah. around him. Because as a pitcher, you're not just like pitching. You're also watching people try and steal bases. Right. And, you know, you're kind of like the leader on the on the field. So, um, you know, there's a couple of guys that stole some bases. Sure, because that would require three like steals. a yeah. quick instincts that his body which you do not have you're you're slowed down so his playing is a bit erratic sure not shocking because also he apparently at one point thought he was pitching to Jimi Hendrix (laughs) who was wielding a guitar instead of a bat but everyone still has his back Willie Stargell hits a second home run putting them firmly in the lead at the bottom of the seventh the Padres get a sharp hit straight up the middle out of nowhere though the Pirates second baseman dives in grabs the ball backhanded And again, in the eighth, when Doc lets the Padres get another hit, the center fielder is there to make a running grab. People are stepping up for Doc Ellis. So by the end of the game, Doc walked eight, struck out six, which is impressive. so impressive. He got a no-hitter. The Pirates win the game to zip. He's spoken a documentary about how it was an ugly no-hitter, which is probably true, but he still did it. And let's, let's listen to him talk about this game right now. Well, here we are, and I got us working on a no-hitter. It was easier to pitch with the LSD. That's the way I was dealing with the fear of failure. He got it. They're mobbing Doc Ellis on a no-hitter. It was an ugly no-hitter. I got letters about it, but it was a no-no. 
Despite the triumph of the win, Mm -hmm. Doc later said he never took LSD while he was pitching ever again. Sure. That was the scariest day of my life. You gotta imagine how fucked up that must have felt if this guy, who literally said he reached into a bag and kept going until he was tired, was like, I'm not gonna do that again. 1,000%. That's like, okay. He has said since that he truly regretted it because... Being that high robbed him of remembering the greatest yeah. night of his life. Yeah. The next year, Rachna, the next season, 1971, the Pirates won the World Series. Amazing. With Doc. Yeah. He ended his season 19 and 9, 19 wins, 9 losses. Obviously, wow. they don't play every single game. Great record. With a 3.06 ERA. That's. Like I said, low ERAs are awesome. So he's still playing great baseball despite being super high the entire time. It's kind of working for him. After this game, he unfortunately did not turn over a new leaf. And a lot of drug-fueled and erratic behavior continued. Okay, interesting. So the regret came years later. Later, 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 yeah. So he briefly tried to pitch sober in 1973, which was a couple years after this Mm -hmm. ordeal, and called it very scary. So the pressure on him at that point and the fear of failure felt, like, insurmountable. Ugh, like, he just was so, so heavy. That's People so like, rough. Didn't you just pitch a no-hitter? You should be, like, an incredible baseball player. But that's the thing, right? Like, you... People see you in a certain way, and then it's... And then you feel like you have to live up to that. Yeah. Well, this, like, a myth life. that follows yeah. him. It's like... Pff, that'd be tough. Ugh. So even while he had his personal struggles with drug and alcohol, he also earned a reputation for bravely and accurately calling out racism, which is interesting that this is happening at, like, the same time. So, for example, before the 1971 MLB All-Star Game, the American League named Vita Blue as their starting pitcher, the first black pitcher to ever start an All-Star Game. And Doc told reporters he knew the National League wouldn't start him now because then they'd have two black starting pitchers. And he said, when it comes to black players, baseball's backwards. Which really riled everyone up. I mean, he's absolutely correct. He couldn't have been more true, right? Yeah. Both men did end up starting, which was a historic moment. Oh, that's amazing. has yet to be repeated, Rachna. What? Mm Mm-hmm. So after this incident, Jackie Robinson Mm -hmm. actually wrote him a letter. Okay. Where he noted that people were not going to be happy with things that he was saying and that this would be an absolutely difficult, very difficult road. Mm -hmm. But he also wanted to validate and encourage Doc's work and continue to push back within that system. He said, there will be times when you ask yourself if it's worth it all. And I can only say, Doc, it is. Ooh, I have goosebumps. I just got goosebumps, That's pretty powerful. Yeah. So this validation was key because so much of what gained him a bad reputation at the time Mm -hmm. can be written off as having to operate within an extremely racist system. Sure. It's like, I have to be on drugs because yeah. I cannot live Tolerate. through this. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm giving you all of these examples of, like, how Doc has dealt with racism within yeah. Major League Baseball. And I have another example. And these are just probably a couple a of A few of, many. Yeah, The daily, yeah. I'm sure what it was, like, a daily experience yeah. for him. So in May of 1972, Doc was maced by a security guard while trying to get into the Cincinnati Red Stadium. Oh, my God. The security guard believed Doc was drunk, 
while he said he just forgot his ID. There's a lot of conflicting sure. reports. There was also a report saying that he was like just reaching for his World Series ring to show you like I am a baseball player. Right, and right. So then he got maced. Ugh. In 1973, a year later, he went onto the field for pregame warmups with pink curlers in his hair. Baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn ordered Ellis never to wear them on an MLB field again. Wow. How is that? This is like warm-ups. That Who also, cares? I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and say that like reeks of homophobia. Not that wow. he was gay, but. Here's the picture right here if you want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Bums me out, right? I guess at that time that would yeah. be that would be recognized as gay, a very feminine, feminine yeah. thing to do. So I feel like the higher and more popular you get, the mm-hmm. more scrutiny you're going to be Absolutely. exposed to, right? Yeah. And the more outspoken you are. Yeah. Um, So he wasn't completely blameless. When he pitched against the Reds in 1974, Mm -hmm. he opened the game by intentionally hitting Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, and Dan Dryson with the ball. He Mm -hmm. said later he wanted to hit as many players as he could in retaliation for shitty things the Reds said about the Pirates after beating them in 72. And possibly being maced by their security guard, I don't know. Had a role. Yeah. So his career and his life kind of really took a turn after this and not in a good way. He went even more downhill, Uh, if you can imagine. His drug and alcohol use started to really like take a toll in bigger and scarier ways, which was like affecting his behavior. He became hostile on the Mm. field. He bounced around four to five teams at the end of his career because no one wanted to keep him. Right. His substance abuse also affected his personal life in like really really bad ways like we it's been bad but then it goes really dark so he was accused of domestic violence by his first and his second wife that's tough which is like you know loaded or not it's just like not yeah it doesn't matter no 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 no. yeah in august 1975 the pirates suspended him without pay for an argument with team manager danny murtaugh the general manager joe brown made the announcement to the team and to press without even telling Doc first. They were like, he's like, just get out of here. Right. So that's how bad things had gotten with him and his team. And as we know, like, you know, a couple years before, he's so close to all of his teammates. And he retired in the spring of 1980 and checked himself into rehab in Arizona for the first time, as we know. After finally getting sober, he then dedicated the rest of his life to helping others get into recovery and counseling and speaking out against the drug culture within baseball, which is pretty incredible that he went to rehab once and after an entire life of drug abuse, yeah. was able to kind of like get on the right path. Yeah. Not only get on the right path, but also start teaching like young people about what it he like had been impacted through. him immediately. One thousand percent. It sounds like he, as you told the story, had some self awareness along the way. Of the impact of his choices, even though he couldn't stop them. So maybe he was like so poised by the time he got to rehab to be like, I'm, I need this. I need this. Well, because yeah. he doesn't have baseball anymore. Like, right. I feel like baseball is probably like his one true love. Yeah. He's like, if this is what I have to do to play, I will do it. Yeah. And then baseball stopped. It's like, okay. You can't, I can't play baseball for your whole life, life as yeah. soon as you're older and you're broken down. Um, and then he had nothing left. Yeah. So it was like, okay, Good now I him. have to go get help. So. He actually became a drug and alcohol abuse counselor for the Yankees, which wow. I, didn't, I didn't know. I did not know. And he also had a stint at a substance abuse rehab program in Beverly Hills. Okay. He wanted to put his resources where they'd help the most. So he later got a job counseling addicts at prisons, juvenile detention centers, Ugh. including a penitentiary in Pittsburgh. So he really ended he up around. turning things around. Yeah. He used what baseball gave him in terms of like, I'm sure... Uh, money and some recognition to like help people yeah so 
He passed away in 2008 at the age of 63, but he helped countless people in those 28 years. He spent 28 mm-hmm. years after he retired from baseball and turned a lot of people away from drugs and alcohol. So he is now known, you know, obviously yeah, for this incredible sure. no-hitter, but he's also known as someone who called out racism, who was an advocate for black players, and who ended his life completely devoted to the recovery and support of people dealing with substance abuse. That's... Hey, man, we need stories like that in the world. We need some positivity, yeah. you know? I, I mean, there's a lot there. Like, he abused a lot of people. And he made some really significantly terrible choices. Terrible choices. But as ever, as of most people, except for the current GOP, you have a lot of empathy <laughs> for why they make some of those choices, and it's understandable. And yeah, I mean, it. I think that he dealt with way more than I even understand. And I feel like people think about Doc Ellis, and they're like, oh my god, he's just like fun and party. Yeah. You know, like this video that went out and went viral Total a couple of years video, ago, the yeah. animated one. People are like, oh my god, this is hilarious. Yeah, and I mean, listen, have a little fun with it, but ultimately the thing we should applaud is what he did with the last 28 yeah, years. Yeah, like this than guy that, went no through hitter. the ringer and then yeah. managed to come out on the other side. So, Where's the animated story of that? Yeah, there was an interesting quote by this Professor Lewis Moore who mm. said of Doc, oh, today... Rachel. Wow, did my saying? Today, we relabel those athletes as activist athletes, but in the 70s, they were problematic loudmouths. Oh, my God. Right? This is exactly what had happened. It's so true. It's like all in the framing. So how do we have a conversation about an athlete's legacy when they do have problematic moments in their life? Well, okay. I'm going to say this. I think this is a huge issue in our country right now, Uh which is the idea, this like ideological purity test of personhood. It's like, what did you just say? Let me write that down. I know. Who's a professor now, Rachel? We get it. You're homeschooling your kids. (laughs) (laughs) I, that, I'm sure like people are going to hear this and be like, those are all the wrong words. But my point is like, even like in this primary, we're talking about like how they voted in the 80s. And I just want to say this. People changing, evolving, Mm -hmm. growing after getting new information, after having life changing um, moments that like make them rethink the way that they used to think as the world becomes different. Like that is a great quality in a human and a candidate and a baseball player. And I feel like in general, you know, we don't need to overly like rehabilitate people who have been monsters but like this guy made some pretty bad mistakes and he also did some amazing things and I think we have to as humans maybe be able to hold that like all those contradictions can exist in a person you can't just focus on all the bad you kind of have to like put everything together and then make your decision and who among us doesn't have both right like when we look at it but I think I think we just have to, like, understand the nuances in, like, having heroes. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I mean, it's t- like you kind of have to, especially being a fan of football, Yeah, you, you have to take, like, how do you even? And where's the line? The question is, where's, where's the, the line? line? For instance, like, I think, like, um, there's players who get suspended for doing drugs, and I'm kind of like, I don't really give a shit if they do drugs. I don't care about drugs. Um, it's more like but the domestic like violence. like Ray Rice knocking out his girlfriend oh, in an elevator. Awful. But it is like, that. Can't it's a slippery slope. What's that line? So, well, we got deep. Let me. We haven't talked to many adults over the last week or so. so. I do do feel like, you know, we've kind of been through A to Z with Doc. And I feel like he came out on the positive side. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
And he did for what it's worth. He did when he was in the bottom of the barrel. That's it. You know? He but also then, gave us a crazy, wild story. Yeah. For the ages. For the ages. I feel bad for him that he himself couldn't enjoy it. You know? That's what I mean, it's a choice he You made, know, maybe but. that's what the most heartbreaking thing about it is that he had an incredible career and he probably can't look back fondly on it at all because it was like fueled by drugs. Yeah. Can barely remember it. Mm-hmm. But then he turned it around and he helped a ton of people. He helped a ton of people. Yeah, you have this baseball player. And and could can you imagine like everyone obviously like loves if you're a baseball player, you're young. You know the story of Doc Ellis. Maybe yeah. your life is starting to go down a dark path as well. And then he's the, the Doc Ellis is there to kind of help you get back on track. I mean, like, that's incredible. The amount of lives that he, he changed. probably changed yeah. and saved are like, pff, who knows? Good for him. We will be back next week with another story. We're going to keep them light. We're going to try and, you know, have some positive stories over the next couple of weeks because sure. we also got a couple of dark ones in our back pocket for later on. But I think we want to just kind of keep it light and fun and yeah. That's the plan. Well, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hall of Shame is a product of Crooked Media. This show is produced by Caroline Rustin and Allison Falzetta. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Stephen Hoffman. Engineering and sound design by Charlotte Landis. Thank you to our video and digital team, Matt DeGroote and Elijah Cohn, and to Sydney Rapp and Brian Semmel for production support every week. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.